Election College, episode 124, The Life of James Monroe, part one. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, how about this Monroe guy? I mean, he's the last founding father to become president. And I guess, well, we need to go way back. Way back to 1758. Yeah, I mean, we're talking here about the last guy that became president that was around for the... You know, the whole founding of our country thing, that's pretty cool. That's pretty significant, if you ask me. But anyway, James Monroe was born on April 28th of 1758 in a house, (laughs) not a hospital, (laughs) not a barn, in a house, in his parents' house, to be precise. And he was born in, um, in Virginia, in a little wooded area, about one mile outside of what is present day called Monroe Hall. Um, you know, probably because of James Monroe. Yeah, that hey, that makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. So for those of you who want to go there, Google Westmoreland County, Virginia, you'll get there. And you'll see a plot of land where Monroe was born. It's funny because it's marked. It's like a national historic registered place. And it's just like a monument. There's there's yeah. no house there. That's fine. If, yeah. I wonder if where I was born, if that'll ever be a national historic place. You moved around a lot, so I don't know if they'll be able to track it down. Yeah. Yeah, me too, though. Well, go figure. Yeah. So <laughs> his his dad, uh, his name was Spencer Monroe, and his mom was named Elizabeth, and they got married oh, about five years before James was born. And James, a lot like his Virginian counterparts, was tutored at home. His mom gave him his earliest education, and he ended up at 11 years of age studying at the Campbelltown Academy, and that was a religious school, and he did awesome things there, like excelled at Latin and math, and get this, Ben, John Marshall, you know, the Chief Justice of the U.S. lay yeah. down? Mm-hmm. He was his classmate. Well, he might as well have been because these guys and probably other people went on to do some pretty cool things. Um, uh, whenever Spence Monroe, James's father, died in 1774, James gets the entire plantation and all the slaves. And at this point, he kind of jumps up in high society, or at least as high a society as there was around that area, and took over the care of the plantation, took over ownership of the slaves, uh, along with, um, you know, kind of taking care of the family name at that point. Yeah. So his mom's brother was Judge Joseph Jones, and he was pretty big shot. I mean, he had been educated at the Inns Court in London, and he was the executor of his dad's estate. 
And in 1774, so the same year that all of this is going on, Monroe heads over to Williamsburg to attend the College of William and Mary. And think about it for just a moment. College of William and Mary, 1774. You got a lot of students who are uber excited about rebelling against the king. Because let's (laughs) face it, the king's popularity in the colonies is, well, it's waning just a wee bit. Yeah, so James is enrolled for about a year and a half. And in 1776, I hope you know that year, Monroe drops out of college and he joins the 3rd Virginia Regiment in the Continental Army. And so he actually had kind of a jump on everybody else because he was a college student at one point, even though he didn't have a degree. And, you know, his father was a well-known planner. So he's able to get an officer's commission uh, right out of the gate and never goes back to college, never looks back, never says, I wish I would have finished my education. He's doing what he wants to do. Uh, after some of the initial battles of the war, the, the battles of Lexington and Concord, he and some other students go and they raid the governor's palace in Williamsburg. And the, at this point, you know, they steal a lot of guns and muskets and swords and everything else to basically arm their militia. And uh, if you remember anything about the Revolutionary War, if you had your hands on some guns, you were doing okay because everybody else, they don't have any guns to shoot people with. So um, (laughs) supplies were in lean order, and it was um, a kind of a big accomplishment to be able to take this loot. Yeah. Hey, you know, I've been to Williamsburg a couple of times. Have you been? I have, yep. It's funny to think about how that transpired right there. I didn't realize that Monroe was, well, going over to the governor's palace and ransacking the place. But next time I go, I'm going to think about that (laughs) a little bit. You know, there's the place, there's the uppity school that he attended. No offense to anybody if you attended the College of William and Mary, but let's face it, it's Ivy League, right? Yeah. And I think most people who go to William and Mary think, yeah, we're uppity. It's fine. <laughs> in a good way, in the in right. the best positive way. But the governor's palace is like right down the street. Yeah. So what a what a change of roles for <laughs> young Monroe. And we alluded to this, actually, we just downright mentioned that Monroe was the last US president who was a Revolutionary War veteran. We do have to add just a little caveat to that because, uh, well, we don't know that he's been elected yet, but Andrew Jackson did serve as a courier, but he wasn't considered, you know, a big time officer or anything like that. He was just a 13 year old doing, well, important things, but he wasn't actually fighting in the war. So Monroe, he is off to battle and one of the most famous things that he did was he was involved in that famous event where Washington crosses the Delaware River in December of 1776. And there is a famous picture that shows Washington crossing the Delaware and Monroe. I think the one picture has Monroe holding the flag, although they say that 
Monroe crossed the Delaware at a different time than Washington did. But uh, what we need to know is that Monroe gets shot and he's pretty badly wounded. And this shell is in Monroe's body for the rest of his life. So he's literally carrying the Revolutionary War in his body. Yeah, and so this battle, the Battle of Trenton, is Monroe's only real battle where he saw any action because he spends the next three months, you know, getting fixed up from the wound, uh, from getting his arm basically blown off, or I guess his chest, more like it. So after he gets all fixed up, he gets appointed as a lieutenant colonel in the Virginia militia, and they're like, hey, you need to recruit a new regiment. You need to lead them. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then it never happens. The regiment never gets raised and never gets funded. So he goes back to Williamsburg. He studies law with George Wythe, and then he moves out to Richmond to study law with Thomas Jefferson. Um, you know, Thomas Jefferson knew a little bit of, about a little bit of things, and <laughs> some of them were the law. <laughs> so uh, Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe get a little bit of a friendship going on there. And uh, 1780 rolls around. The Brits invade Richmond. And if you remember, Thomas Jefferson is the governor. And he says, hey, Monroe, you're a smart guy. Why don't you be the colonel in charge of this militia and uh, act as a liaison to the to the Continental Army? And Monroe's like, I'd be happy to, Sir Jefferson. So Monroe is doing his thing as a colonel. And it's interesting to note that later in life, Monroe even wants to be referred to as a colonel, which, hey, I'm a colonel and I understand. Please refer to me as a colonel as well. <laughs> and so uh, three years later, he goes back to Jefferson is like, hey, TJ, I didn't learn all that I could learn. Teach me more. And it wasn't because he was like, I really love studying law. It was because he's like, hey, I want some cash. I want it fast. And uh, I want some prestige that goes along with it. So why not? So after he passes the bar, he goes up to Fredericksburg, Virginia, and he practices law. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So everybody's going to get married, right? I mean, that's kind of the way it works back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> well, a few years later, after he starts studying law with Jefferson, he meets or I'm sorry, he marries Elizabeth Courtright. He had actually met her back during the Continental Congress, and they get married in 1786, and they met in New York whenever the capital of the United States was in New York, in case you've forgotten that was a thing. Yes, that was a thing. By the way, I used that as a trivia question for uh, uh, the other night. It was fun. Oh, really? It's like, hey, I know this, and you guys don't. Huh. Yeah, uh, <laughs> earlier, I think it was, well, actually, it was yesterday, I posted an article over on the Facebook page about the eight cities that were U.S. capitals. Uh-huh. Actually, it was Sunday. My days are running together. But yeah, there's eight cities that were capitals, at least for a day. And well, New York was a little bit longer than a day, but I digress. If you don't follow us on Facebook, you should. Yeah. So they honeymoon briefly on Long Island. You know, it's funny because just a few years before there had been a war on Long Island and James Monroe had been part of it. But they uh, return to New York City and live with Elizabeth's father until Congress adjourns. And, um, you know, while they're at it, they have some kids. Yeah. So to 
kind of jump around a little bit chronologically, let's talk just a little bit about the Monroe kids. Because, well, why not? That's interesting because everybody knows everybody, right? In some ways. I'm Basically. sure I'm sure that seven degrees of separation was probably like two degrees of separation at this time. And Eliza, uh, Courtright Monroe, hey, uh, she, back when she was just Eliza Courtright Monroe, um, she was born during Monroe's stint in Fredericksburg in 1786. And she goes over to Paris and gets her education while Monroe is, spoiler alert, the ambassador to France. Well, she meets George Hay. And who is George Hay? He is a very prominent Virginia attorney. And he actually serves as the prosecutor in the trial of Aaron Burr. Yeah, well, it's okay because you're talking about him being prosecuted. Okay, okay. Hey, Aaron Burr is getting prosecuted, so (laughs) I don't have to swallow anything. (laughs) Yeah, and he also later became a U.S. district judge. So, I mean, you know, he's a pretty important guy. And then there's James Spence Monroe, or at least they think that was probably James Spence Monroe's name. Uh, He was uh, only... Uh, alive for a few years, and his gravestone actually reads J.S. Monroe, and so they, you know, they don't know the names, but you got to figure that grandfather's name was Spence, father's name was James, so probably a good guess, but um, they're not hundred percent certain. But it's a, you know, it's a pretty solid understanding of what the name may have been. And then there was Maria Hester Monroe, who uh, she was actually the first wedding of a president's child in the White House. So uh, she married her cousin, so I don't know if it's all that special to talk about, but uh, (laughs) there you go. She had a grand old time in the White House at her wedding. Yeah. So earlier we mentioned that he inherits his dad's plantation in 1774 when he passes away. And 1783 rolls around, Monroe's like, I am going to sell the plantation. And he does this and he enters law and politics. And he had always wanted to own a huge plantation and wanted to be a very powerful political figure, but his plantation was never profitable. And, uh, you know, here he is another Virginian who owns a plantation and has slaves. And so it wasn't too uncommon uh, in this era, not that we condone any of these practices, but it was um, a very regular practice for these Virginian plantation owners to own slaves. And he wasn't particularly nice, I guess you could say, to his slaves. He wasn't mean to them either because he wasn't around, but he left them in the hands of you know, the overseers and people he hired uh, while he lived in other places. And so, you know, they were typical things happened that would happen on a, on a slave um, grounds or the on the plantation. And, um, you know, he was commonly known to refer to slaves as not nice things, scoundrels. And we remember a few episodes back where we heard scoundrel was a terrible name to call someone. So um, unlike some of the other presidents we've talked about, we don't really have any reason to say that, hey, he came back and did nice things and regretted it. Uh, but I think it's important to mention because, you know, we don't talk about history. It's doomed to repeat itself. And 
Um, we don't need any more. <laughs> we don't need any more slavery, I guess you could say. Right. So back to politics in Monroe's career. He gets elected to the Virginia House of Delegates in 1782. And by the time November of 1783 rolls around, he is elected to the U.S. Congress. And he serves until 1784, and he retires from that role. And in 1788, if you remember what's going on around then, well, you know, there's a few things going on with this thing <laughs> called the Constitution. And he is a member of this crazy Virginia delegation where you have Washington and Madison, who were very much pro-Constitution. You have Patrick Henry and George Mason, who were very against the Constitution. So Monroe and his counterpart, Edmund Pendleton, they were Federalists, so they were very much like Washington and Madison, but they wanted amendments to the Constitution, and they were very pro-Bill of Rights. Well, Virginia ratifies the Constitution in 1788, really largely because Monroe and Pendleton and their cohorts suspended their reservations about the Constitution. And um, yeah, it gets ratified, but you don't really see Monroe as being the flag-waving, hey, I am so happy that the Constitution is the way it is. So he ends up joining the Democratic-Republican faction. Um, so he's switching sides over to Madison and Jefferson. And by 1791, he's the party leader in the Senate. Yeah, and we talked last, uh, well, during the Bill of Rights episodes about the other people who were pushing hard for a Bill of Rights to be passed in order to get the Constitution passed, Monroe was one of them. So, you know, that gives you a face to a name or something like that. One of those sayings yeah. that nobody knows what they mean. Name to a face. If, yeah. I know. Yeah. It's, it's all good. Whatever. Yeah. It you still can't see his face unless you're looking at it somewhere else. So good luck. Uh, <laughs> True that. <laughs> Monroe actually resigns his seat in the Senate, which – that like never happens, even still. Uh, he resigns his seat <laughs> in the Senate uh, because he gets appointed as the minister to France back in 1794. And his mentor, you know, Thomas Jefferson, had just recently come back from France as the ambassador. So that's a lot of fun. And Monroe actually goes over and does a lot of crazy stuff. He gets Thomas Paine out of prison. Because, uh, you know, the whole revolution was going on and Thomas Paine was opposed to the king being executed. And so he gets him out. But then the government's like, nah, no, nah, no. Nah. Uh, he's going back to the U.S. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Monroe actually arranges to free all the Americans who were held in French prisons, which is a pretty big deal. <laughs> and he gets Adrienne de la Lafayette. Um, he gets her and her family American passports. They're like, hey, you helped us out during the revolution. So here you go. You're now citizens because we love you. And they got her, her husband, all of them 
back over here to the, the good old U.S. of A. And then um, Monroe tells France, hey, George Washington's policy of neutrality, it, it doesn't favor Britain, even though it did favor Britain at the time. And so <laughs> keep in mind what's going on in the 1790s. You've got this treaty, the Jay Treaty, and it takes Monroe aback a little bit because it's like, hey, hey, French government, we're your friends. And then, well, your government kind of says, mm-hmm. we love Britain. <laughs> you Whoops. got egg on your face, dude. <laughs> it's really he's lucky not they his didn't, fault. He's lucky they didn't throw him in prison, though, for like, you could just tell it's like, Hey, no, no, seriously, we're not like pro-Britain or anything. And they're like, well, then what's this? And pull out a copy of the Jay Treaty that they got in the newspaper that day or something. Yeah. Um, it's like, whoops. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I can't imagine, especially with the the way the internet connections weren't <laughs> back then <laughs> in all. Uh, Washington pretty much disses Monroe big time. He says, hey, buddy. You are no longer a minister to France because you're inefficient, your disruptive maneuvers, and your failure to safeguard the interests of your country. Yeah, you're fired. Yeah. In the 1790s, we see Monroe really worried about George Washington being influenced too heavily by Alexander Hamilton. And the reason is because, uh, you know, it's kind of the same issue. Monroe thinks that Alexander Hamilton and therefore George Washington are just way, way, way too close to Britain. And he he's just embarrassed by the fact that Washington criticizes him because he supports um, France during the revolution. And, um, you know, all that kind of just doesn't doesn't end as well as it should or could have. Yeah. So Monroe goes back to Virginia and he practices law. And in 1799, he becomes the governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia as a Democratic Republican. And he wins re-election in 1811. So he does a lot of things as the governor. He calls out the state militia to suppress Gabriel's rebellion. So just in case you don't know the story about Gabriel's rebellion. Gabriel, um, his full name was Gabriel Prosser. He was a literate enslaved blacksmith, and he plans this really big rebellion in Richmond in 1800. And information about this rebellion was leaked, and he and 25 other guys are taken captive and they are hanged. And Virginia and some other states passed all kinds of restrictions on free African-Americans and just really repressed these guys. I mean, they they said, we're no longer going to educate you. Um, You can't assemble together. You can't hire people. You're just not, you're not allowed to do much of anything because of this. So he's seen as a very forceful governor when it comes to anyone who comes against the government, especially if you're 
and African-American. So, you know, a couple of years down the line, Jefferson, president now, sends Monroe over to France to assist Robert Livingston. And you probably remember that name from the Louisiana Purchase. So Monroe and Livingston are negotiating the Louisiana Purchase. And then after that, Monroe gets appointed as the minister to the court of St. James in London. So first he goes to France, then he goes to London, and then he negotiates a treaty with Great Britain, which is the Monroe-Pinckney Treaty. And um, this is actually an extension of the Jay Treaty, which Jason just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, that was you know going to expire after ten years. So Jefferson says, um, you know, back in the day at least, I didn't really love the Jay Treaty. I think it you know it really subverts a lot of things that America's trying to do. We should be independent, et cetera, et cetera. But the treaty ends up working out. It you know lasts about ten years, and there's a lot of peace and a lot of good trade that's going on. But Jefferson's still like, nah, it's not my thing. I was against it then. I'm not going to change my mind now. Yeah, it's funny what politics can do to you in some ways. And in the case of the Monroe-Pinckney Treaty, it was Jefferson who was looking out for the interests of the United States over his own personal feelings of well, how he felt about Great Britain and, frankly, how he felt about France, which ends up resulting in, well, war <laughs> later on. <Yeah. laughs> Things At this point, you can't really trust the British. Sorry, if you are one of our friends in the UK and it's the early 1800s and you're an American, you just can't trust the British. Yeah, definitely not. So, you know, all this happens and some other stuff happens too. And Monroe and James Madison aren't getting along anymore. James Madison is Secretary of State and they're just not friends. And then, you know, the election of 1808 comes along and the old Republicans or as they were known, the quids say, listen, Jefferson's administration is not truly Republican. These are screwing everything up. Monroe, he's screwing up the foreign policy, and we don't understand why Jefferson rejected it, but um, we, we're going to get him on our side and make him do the things that we want him to do. And so the plan that they hatch is for Monroe to run for president in 1808 and be a Federalist. Yeah, and that sounds like a, hey, if you can't beat him, join him, and if you can't win your own party, well, join the other party. Sure, that's going to work. Um, no. <laughs> Monroe actually doesn't even end up being the candidate for president for the Federalists, and he sure as heck does not become the nominee for the Republicans. So what ends up happening is, well, we know what happens in 1808. Madison gets elected. And after that election, Monroe's like, hey, TJ, let's be friends. Let's make amends, right? I mean, we've got this history together. I was your student. We, we're, we're good, right? And Jefferson's like, sure. And Madison is... Standing over there, he's like, hey, I'm I'm the chief now. 
<laughs> and Monroe's like, no, thank you. I don't want to have anything to do with you, buddy. But he ends up having something to do with him because <laughs> Monroe actually goes back to the Virginia House of Burgesses and he gets elected to another term as governor and everything. But he's only served for uh, four months because in April of 1811, Madison's like, OK, I know what I got to do. I'm going to appoint Monroe as the secretary of state because, you know, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're opposing me. I'm opposing them, whatever. He's not really going to have anything to do with the War of 1812 because we got all these other people. He's basically just going to be like here for some support and to help unify the different factions that are happening. So Monroe ends up becoming the secretary of state until the secretary of war isn't doing so great. And Madison actually says, John Armstrong, um, you just let the U.S. Capitol and White House get burned by the British, so you're fired. And um, James Monroe, you're the Secretary of War. Oh, but I don't have any um, anybody to, to take care of the Secretary of State job, so you're going to do that too for a while if you're, if you're cool with that. So Monroe does. <laughs> and, um, you know, it works out for him okay. Yeah. So Monroe, he is the man at this point. And I'm wondering, did he and Madison have any close conversations? Did they confide in one another? I mean, how many people have had two positions in one cabinet at the same time? I can't think of anyone. And these are very powerful positions, Secretary of War and Secretary of State. For a guy you don't even necessarily care for. So, yeah, James Monroe. We have a lot more to say about this guy. Yeah, he's going to become president, just in case you didn't know. Uh, that's coming next in the next episode of Election College. <laughs> but in the meantime, between now and when the next episode comes out, if you really just can't get enough of our voices – you can check out The Dueling Letters. It's an audiobook. It's on Audible. It's under $4. And it's Jason and I narrating the letters between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr <sighs> before the duel that took Alexander Hamilton's life. You should check it out. You can go to electioncollege.com slash dueling letters. The link will be in our show notes as well as like everywhere else you look. And uh, tell your friends. Yeah. And just in case you haven't already, be sure to head over to Facebook and look us up. We are Election College. Let, give us a like, would you? We have a lot of good interaction there. And uh, yeah, do that. We'd really appreciate it. And we're also on Instagram and Twitter at Election College. And hey, while you're doing all of this internet stuff, head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. You can do that in less than 90 seconds, visit electioncollege.com slash iTunes. Thanks, everybody. I guess we'll talk next time. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale 
at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.